0: You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702.
1: The Naked Scientist. It is that time, The Naked Scientist. Give us a call, 11 WhatsApp, 72 Send an SMS, 31702, or tweet at Relebuchile M. Let us know all of those interesting questions. Chris Smith, The Naked Scientist, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, and welcome to you as well. This is this is our first outing together, I it think, isn't is, it? It
1: is, and it's so great to meet you because I've been listening to you for years.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have I you really? love the
1: way you see, Yes. Um you used to speak to Reedy.
2: Yeah. That's how yes. it started. Amazingly. Yes. It yes. was I, f- I fell into Reedy's studio, it was October two thousand and seven. Wow. My first foray to South Africa. Wow. And um, we were overdoing a conference actually organized by Paula Frey and Associates mm. trying to push up science communication in South Africa. Wow. And they just put out a press release and, and I, I didn't know, I'm embarrassed, to say, I didn't know what 702 was at the time. Which and, is understandable, uh, I I you were, were in a different region. Yes, you were in a different yeah.
1: region, yeah. Well,
2: it just took me down to this studio and said, oh, you're going to do this radio interview? And and I sat down and, and with Reedy and... And she said, well, what do you do then? It was a bit like the Queen. What do you do? (laughs) And I said, um, well, I I said I answer science questions on the radio. And she said, well, like what? And I said, well, uh, why don't we have a go? Phone up and ask us a question. And and it instantly went absolutely nuts. And and Reedy said, "Uh, okay, you should phone us when you go home because uh, we should sort something out. And then... um, since then, we've been doing it's this. 2021, so it's
1: 2021, and you've gone through so yeah. many hosts. So I'm so honored to be one of them, to get to talk to you. Now, before we take our calls, I'm curious about this new revelation about the mice that had spinal cord injuries that uh, left their hind legs completely paralyzed, that then learned to walk again after a single injection. What is that all about? What was injected?
2: Well, it's a it's a long-term perennial challenge. When we have injury to the brain and spinal cord, unlike if you injure a peripheral nerve, say you severed a finger and Mm. sewed it back on, you would get sensation back in your finger. If you did that with the whole arm, you would get sensation back in your arm. People have had body part transplants, including even face transplants, and if you reattach the nerves, they will regrow, reconnect and re-innovate. And so you recover sensation, even lost movement in that particular part of the body. Do that sort of catastrophic injury to your brain and spinal cord, though, and it's for keeps the regeneration is very very poor indeed and this leads to permanent life changing lifelong injury and disability as you know well known victims like christopher reeve who mm. was superman found out when he fell from a horse and the reason that this or at least part of the reason why this appears to happen is that when we injure the brain and spinal cord at least some of the injured nerve cells die which means they're not around to regenerate. But the bigger problem is that the environment of the brain and spinal cord, when it's been injured and as it heals itself, is not conducive to regeneration. And you end up with scarring in the tissue and the nerve cells which are asking to connect over what for a cell, an invisible thing, which you need a microscope to see, you're asking it to connect over massive great distances, a bit like you being asked to walk to the moon. Mm. When you've got scars and you've got that kind of injury and you've got really a toxic media through which you're asking these nerve cells to reconnect, it's very, very difficult to achieve that. So what scientists are beginning to do is to to ask, well, what are the molecules that seem to cause these scars and what are the molecules that are produced, that cause inflammation and are suppressive towards regrowth and regeneration? And if we can mitigate against those, perhaps the nerve cells that haven't died and there are many of them, will reconnect to the targets and enable us to regain movement. And in this paper, which has been published in the journal Science, they have engineered some materials, sort of three-dimensional thread-like materials, that are also endowed with molecules that can suppress the scar formation and promote regeneration. And when they inject these into the mice, it does seem to translate into superior regeneration Of spinal injuries now obviously you've got to be really cautious because there are many people tens of thousands of people who have catastrophic injuries to their nervous systems every year and this is one finding in a mouse mice are much simpler than humans are Mm. this is just the beginning but it's an encouraging beginning and we also need to take into account that these are mice which are receiving an experimental injury and then they're quite quickly uh, treated to help them recover There are many humans who've been suffering with these sorts of problems for many, many years, and the situation may be different in them. So a cautious uh, interpretation of this is that it looks like good news, but it does obviously mean we need many more tests and to look further down the path to see actually how this is working and to what extent it might extrapolate and work in a human.
1: I will choose hope. I will choose to hope that it does mean a step in the right direction for human beings. Uh, thank you so much for answering that question. 11 double one double eight three oh seven oh two oh seven two seven oh two one seven oh two. 1702 What are your questions for The Naked Scientist?
0: 702, The Naked Scientist.
1: All right, we've got Hazmuk from Mondia. Hi, Hazmuk, you're on with Chris. Hello, Rebochila, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you perfectly. Okay,
0: good afternoon to you, Dr. Christmas.
2: I've also been hello. listening to
0: you since hello. I've also been listening to you since 2007.
2: Goodness me. Wow.) we <laughs> uh, uh, were uh, all a lot uh, younger uh, then, weren't we, and had probably had more hair.: <laughs> well.
0: Yes, yes, you're quite right. You're quite right. <laughs> uh, Chris uh, I would like to uh, ask you, do you know anything about the anti-chicerum mechanism? Kathira mechanism. Apparently found on a Greek uh, ship that uh, was capsized or ran aground on a Greek coast and it, they found this uh, mechanism in the, and it uh, shows what um, uh, sort of a very sophisticated game mechanism and they think it's about uh, 75 BC they couldn't do a uh, What's the name? uh, What you call it? uh, Carbon dating, because this uh, machine, if you want to call it, they call it the oldest computer that uh, they can't do carbon dating on brass. But I've been seeing some. I do know about uh, this. uh, And um, this
2: this is. You're referring to the Antikythera, which was this interesting looking device recovered from the floor of the Mediterranean. And as you say, is more is thousands of years old. And people wondered what it was. And in the journal Nature, in about 2006 and six seven, a paper was published by researchers who were able to work out, by looking at how this thing probably worked, what it was, or at least speculate as to what it was. And this mechanism basically predicts where the planets and stars are going to be. So it is almost like a star chart predictor. And that was a high priority for people in those days because obviously people set great store by what stars were doing what planets were doing and so on and predicting those sorts of cycles so as far as we can tell it was one of the first machines for predicting where we would be in the solar system and and relative to other things at the time Really ingenious, really very clever for, for people that long ago to have made something, but also really ingenious for scientists these days to have managed to unpick it by basically scanning it, working out where all the gears and cogs would have gone, and then reconstructing it uh, virtually to work out what it would have done.
1: Mm, I think that is so, so interesting. Uh, Hasmik, did you get your answer? Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so thank much, you. Hasmik. We go to Gift in Centurion. Hi, Gift.
0: Hi, and uh, first of all, welcome to the uh, afternoon class. Thank you. Congratulations for having us. slot. Um, to uh, Dr. Chris, I, I want to tell this question. You know, I, I have uh, seen a lot of quantum time seizures today. We have this argument that, have, that when you meditate long enough about healing, no matter how sick you are, your brain has a good
2: summarize the question for me because the line isn't so great and I'm struggling to yes. get a good ba- idea as to what's being said.
1: Basically he's saying um, that uh, there's been studies about doing things like meditation and getting the brain uh, to heal your body. So how accurate is that?
2: Well uh, it's certainly true that um, if you feel minded and in good shape to get better it certainly helps. People who have a positive outlook... Are, tend to recover more quickly tend to need less pain relief tend to suffer fewer post-traumatic post-operative or whatever syndromes and side effects and, and need fewer drugs and medicines so i think that uh, it's certainly true that if you're well in body you're uh, if you're well in mind you're well in body and there, there is also a school of thought that's called psychoneuroimmunology which is if you feel happy then your immune system works better And we've got studies to prove that people who are depressed make a a less good immune response than people who are not depressed. People who are stressed make a less good immune response to vaccines and to infections and they're therefore iller for longer than people who are well. So I think it's certainly true that how you feel and you can if you're in a if you're in a positive mindset, you will take more steps to make yourself better more quickly. But it is not the whole story, and it is, it is important not to just think, well, I'll think myself better. There are important things that, uh, that m- modern medicine can do and needs to do which will solve things that you can't just think yourself out of, but certainly starting with a positive mindset is absolutely critical because if you're also positive about things, you're less likely to get ill in the first place.
1: So basically mind over matter?
2: That's right. People who have a positive outlook, for instance, might or might be more likely to subscribe to a healthy diet, to uh, take more exercise, to socialize more. And we know that from big, big epidemiological studies, people who are more sociable, people who sing in choirs, people who go to church or whatever, people who have friendship groups, they actually have... Uh, lower rates of disease at any given age and a greater longevity they live longer than people who are lonely people who are depressed people who are less positively minded and it's probably because you engage with a healthier lifestyle in the first place but also you benefit from many of the things we've just discussed which is a positive outlook does translate into lower levels of stress a better support network lower levels of, of stress hormones and therefore probably better functioning of your immune system as well.
1: Ooh, well, well said. 10 minutes to 3 o'clock.
2: Seven o two.
0: The Naked Scientist.
1: 9 minutes to 3 o'clock. We're still on with The Naked Scientist and we're taking your calls, your WhatsApps, your SMSs and your tweets. And we have Norma in Kempton Park. Hi, Norma. Hi, Rile Hi to the doctor. Mm, go ahead. Uh, my, my question to the doctor is what causes one to talk in their sleep? and even to walk in their sleep. Uh, one thing I can just say well, is that hmm. my grandfather used to do it and my mother used to do it and now it's catching up with me and I need help.
2: <laughs> what do you say in your sleep then? A lot. Uh, I don't know, I'm asleep is what you're supposed to say. In that that. <laughs> uh, no... Um, but... When we go to sleep, actually, we, we paralyse ourselves. There's a part of your brain stem which connects your spinal cord, which is at the bottom of the nervous system, to the big bit of the brain at the top. And in the brain stem is a structure, which is actually called the subcerulea region, which, when you go to sleep, it turns on, and that has the role of turning off a lot of the information that would be flowing out in the motor pathways that would normally be initiating movements. So if you block the flow of the movement signals then we don't move as much when we're asleep and that's there for good reason because obviously you'd be rolling around and thrashing about and falling out of bed every time you had a dream and we dream a lot. We dream in, in cycles which are called REM sleep cycles which as the night goes on they become more sort of longer duration and are more frequent. And it's when you're having your dreams, you can tell when someone's dreaming because their eyes are moving around a lot behind their eyelids. That's why it's called rapid eye movement sleep. But that's when you're experiencing the kinds of things that you might want to react to or lash out in response to or, or whatever. And you've probably had the experience that you were dreaming that you were being chased by somebody. But when you tried to run away, it was like you were running through treacle. You couldn't move very fast. You, you couldn't get away and you, everything was slow and you were very weak compared to how you normally feel That is you experiencing the fact that your body is very, very strongly suppressing your ability to move when you are asleep for good reason. Now, in some people, there are breakthroughs of this process where when you uh, nod off, it doesn't properly engage that system. And some people do uh, move around more and thrash about. Also, when people are sometimes sleeping, but sleepwalking, this is called somnambulism. For some reason, they don't completely go to sleep and they don't completely engage this paralysis system. So they're in a state of sleepiness, but they're also partly awake. And as a result, they do wander around and do things. And they they often have no recollection afterwards that this has happened to them. It may well be that um, it it is something that runs in your family, but this is pretty common. And many people actually do uh, have sort of periods of wakefulness during the night. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. And it may be that uh, perhaps the way that you're sleeping at the moment is triggering this. It may be that something in your life is making you have less restful sleep or something is disturbing you or you've got something on your mind. Sometimes people report that they they sleep, their quality of sleep drops when they've got things on their mind. So it might be that this has happened in your family and, and, and that something is now disturbing you because perhaps you're caring for people or caring about things work and so on all these things can can give you a less restful night and that overall stress builds up and and can trigger less restful sleep so maybe take a look at what factors might be triggering it ask yourself does it happen more at certain times when this has also happened in my in my day and see if there's an association and if there is see if you can change something to reduce the thing that triggers it happening and then see if that translates into fewer of these manifestations
1: Mm. Thank you so much for that, Chris. We've got Bonnie and Glenn Vista. Hi, Bonnie. Hello. Mm. Um, Doctor, I'd like to know, I've bought many tissues. My husband has many tissues. In the family and friends I talk to, and there's always little old friends. We've 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 got a bit of a bad line there, Bonnie, but I think I got the gist of what it is. You were asking the doctor. Uh, the question was: t-shirts and them getting little holes in them, and what causes that?
2: Uh, there's a number of reasons why this can happen. One is our old friends moths. There are very few animals that can eat hair or fur, but there are some. And if you go out on a bushwalk, you will occasionally find. The remains of animals where actually there are holes in the bones and in the horns and this is because there are certain moths and insects that can degrade keratin which is the stuff that is in hair and t-shirts if there are or, or some clothing which is made of, of hair wool that can also be eaten by these things if you uh are making clothes out of cotton, there are also insects that can digest and break that down. So sometimes it's because one of our our friends has laid some eggs and fed its larvae on your clothes. So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is that sometimes chemicals can splash onto clothes and especially acids, which will break down and weaken fibres. This can cause it to happen. So I think there's a number of possibilities. One would be our friends in the insect world that like eating clothes, have devoured your T-shirts and it's their larvae that have done that. Another is that some chemicals that are uh, corrosive, bleaches, and acids can do this. And the other possibility is that the shirt wasn't very good in the first place, and it was already weak, and something's just caused it to the, some of the fibres to break down in a certain place, and up come some holes.
1: All right. Very quickly, Sam in Thunderbell Park. Hi, Sam.
0: Hi. Good afternoon. Mm, go ahead. Um, my question is, I, I'm I'm 46. And I'm grinding when I'm sleeping. And at that time, i would be scratching my head. I'm told. And grinding your it,
1: teeth, you mean? Grinding your
0: teeth? Yes. Okay. Yes, grinding my teeth. And what is the solution to that? Mm.
1: All right. Thank you, Sam. Doctor?
2: Uh, Sam, some people do this. And some people do it habitually. Some people do it in response, again, to stress. And we were saying earlier about poor sleep quality in response to having a stressful day. It may be that in you it's happening when you are stressed. So have a look at that and see if there's an association. If not, you may just be one of these habitual people who does grind their teeth. You may need to see a dentist and they can give you some some protection for your teeth so that even though it happens, it doesn't damage your teeth because otherwise you're going to chip away at the teeth at the back and and then you'll have a big dental bill later. So that would be my advice. See if you can find an association, some trigger and minimise the trigger If not, go for some kind of treatment that stops the consequences.
1: Thank you so much, Chris Smith, the Naked Scientist, who will be back with us this time next week.